Hi, this is Bruce Boxleitner, and you're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Warning, warning. Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast's yearly 13 days of Hallotober event. I am your host, Rigor, and joining me today are frequent guest co-host, Spency, and our new frequent guest co-host, Michael. Welcome, guys. Hey. Hello. How you guys doing? Good. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so we are continuing our yearly event called 13 Days of Hallotober. Our theme this year is vampire movies. Today we're going to discuss the film The Lost Boys from 1987. And as I, you probably heard at the top of the show, there's going to be spoilers in this, so um, you better go watch the movie. I mean, it's, what, 40 years old now almost? Yes. So get ready to enjoy our discussion of a classic vampire film. Class is in session. Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Michael Emerson and his younger brother Sam move with their recently divorced mother Lucy to the fictional small beach town of Santa Carla, California to live with her eccentric father, Michael and Sam's grandfather. Michael and Sam hang out at the boardwalk which is plastered with flyers of missing people. Lucy gets a job at a video store owned by bachelor Max Lawrence. 
Michael becomes fascinated by Star, a beautiful young girl he spots on the boardwalk, though she seems to be the, with the mysterious David, the leader of a youth biker gang. In the local comic book store, Sam meets brothers Edgar and Alan Frog, a pair of self-proclaimed vampire hunters. They gave Sam horror comics to teach him about the threat they claim has infiltrated the town. Michael finally talks to Star. David approaches and goads him into following them by motorcycle along the beach. They reach a dangerous cliff that Michael nearly drives over. At the gang's hideout, an abandoned luxury hotel sunken beneath the cliff by the 1906 earthquake, David initiates Michael into the group. Star warns Michael not to drink from an offered bottle, warning that it's blood, but he ignores her advice. Later on, David and the others, including Michael, head to a railroad bridge where they hang off the bottom from trestles over a foggy gorge. One by one they fall, Michael falling after them. Michael wakes up at home the next day, unaware of how he got there. His eyes are sensitive to sunlight and he develops a sudden thirst for blood, which leads him to impulsively attack Sam. Sam's dog Nanook retaliates. Sam realizes that Michael's turning into a vampire, verified by his brother's semi-transparent reflection in a mirror. Sam is initially terrified, but Michael convinces him that he's not yet a vampire and desperately needs his help. Michael begins developing supernatural powers and asks Star for help. They have sex shortly after. <laughs> Sam deduces that as Michael has not killed anyone, he's half vampire and his condition is reversible upon the head vampire's death. Sam and the Frog Brothers test whether Max is the head vampire during a date with Lucy, but he passes every test and they instead focus on David. To provoke him into killing, David takes Michael to stalk a group of beachgoers and instigates a feeding frenzy. Horrified, Michael escapes and returns home to Sam. Star then arrives and reveals herself as a half-vampire who wants to be cured. It emerges that David had intended for Michael to be Star's first kill, sealing her fate as a vampire. The next day, a weakening Michael leads Sam and the Frog Brothers to the gang's lair. They impale one, va one vampire, Marco, uh, a.k.a. Bill S. Preston Esquire, with a stake, awakening David and the two others. But the boys escape, rescuing Star and Laddie, a half-vampire child, and Star's companion. That evening, while Lucy is out with Max and Grandpa's on a date with a widow, the teens arm themselves with holy water-filled water guns, a longbow and wood stakes, barricading themselves in the house. When night falls, David's gang attacks the house. The Frog Brothers and Nanook kill Paul by pushing him into a bathtub filled with garlic and holy water, dissolving him. Sam is attacked by Dwayne, another vampire, before he shoots an arrow through his heart and into the stereo behind him, electrocuting him. Michael is then attacked by David, forcing him to use his vampire powers. He manages to overpower David and impales him on a set of antlers. However, Michael, Star, and Laddie do not transform back to normal as they had hoped. Lucy then returns home with Max, who is revealed to be the head vampire. He explains that inviting a vampire into one's house renders one powerless over said vampire, leaving them unable to exploit any weaknesses the vampire has while there, explaining why their earlier assumption appeared to be incorrect. Max reveals he had instructed David to turn Sam and Michael into vampires so that Lucy could not refuse to be transformed herself, as his objective had been to make Lucy mother for his lost boys. As Max pulls Lucy to him, preparing to transform her, he's killed when Grandpa crashes his truck through the wall of the house, impaling Max on a wooden fence post, causing him to explode. Michael, Starr, and Laddie then return to normal. Amongst the carnage and debris, Grandpa casually retrieves a drink from the re refrigerator and declares, One thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. <laughs> so, first impressions, Spency. Uh, 
I mean, I had seen this movie a long time ago when I was much younger, so it was a nice revisit for me, and I was pleasantly surprised by everything they did. Uh, I did nail down um, Bill S. Preston Esquire. Uh, As soon as I saw him, I'm like, that guy looks familiar. Um, uh, But yeah, the movie overall, I thought it was very, very good, very well done, and uh, a very high-quality vampire film for the 80s. That's cool. I was going to ask you, because I must have shown it to you, obviously. We must have watched it together. Mm-hmm. Years yeah. ago. <laughs> Michael. I fucking love this movie. Um, I've seen it. I, I can never remember if I saw it in the theater, but it was 87 that it came out, so I probably did see it in the theater. Um, I just love it. I mean, it's th- this time I watched it like last week in preparation for today, and I was like paying extra attention to it because even though I'd seen it probably six or seven times before I knew we were going to talk about it. So I was like really watching it. And, and I was like, notice, I was kind of impressed with the way they did certain things. Like for some reason in my mind, I had the, the whole, the whole um, vampire hunter, Edgar and Allen thing with the two Corys and that other kid at the comic store in, in my memory, it was like, Oh, that was kind of like hokey, stupid comic relief stuff. But this time I watched it and I was like, no, it really isn't like, the dialogue between them is not deliberately goofy or anything. They're just like, they just take themselves a little too seriously. Um, and a lot of the vampire stuff I thought was great. I mean, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I definitely saw this in the theaters. I, yeah, I was going to ask you if we'd seen it together, but I remembered that I saw it with my parents and mm. I, I loved it. I loved it. I it felt it was like an instant classic and I've definitely seen it a ton of times since then. And, you know, this is one that I can probably recite most of the dialogue from. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of great lines in this that are highly quotable. Um, you know, I, I had a similar reaction to it that I had for Fright Night, but they're both completely different movies. You know, Fright mm. Night was more of like a classy, classic-style vampire-based film, and this one had a modern twist to it that I really enjoyed. So I, I just love the the 80s vibe from this movie. <laughs> yeah. One thing I noticed this time that I really liked was the first two times before before the movie really puts a fine point on the fact that saying this gang of Kiefer Sutherland and his buddies, before we know for a fact that they're vampires, there's two times where they kill people. And each time it's like from their point of view, flying down on them. Yeah. And the one guy is like trying to get into his car and they grab him and as he gets yanked up into the air the door gets torn off the car which i thought was so cool yeah (laughs) and then there was another couple later who are like making out in the back seat of a car this is like several days later whatever and they come down without without us seeing them we don't see them doing this but it's uh, it's obvious they come down and they rip the roof off the car yeah and then they pull the people out and like take you know take them whatever eat them or whatever and i just thought that was so cool like i don't remember yeah i was just really impressed by that this time around because i just love it when characters have super strength and any any display of that makes me happy yeah and you know what i didn't notice before this is the same year that robocop came out and i remember distinctly the opening of robocop just said the title robocop and then it began there were no credits and this movie did the same thing and i never realized that before Oh. I, I'm pretty sure. Maybe. I didn't even notice it this time around. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I forgot Kiefer Sutherland was in this movie until I saw his name. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, hold on a minute now. Uh, I know that name. I, I don't remember him being in this movie. And then I saw saw David, like, you know, like the lead vampire. 
uh, of the Lost Boys, and I'm like, oh, that is him. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> no. you've answered my question there, Spence. I guess they did have credits at the beginning. <laughs> they would. No, they started with the title and then the credits. I I noticed this. I thought it was funny. In order of um, alf, it was alphabetical order <laughs> uh, that they had people. They they showed people's names in, and it was just at the very bottom. So like the movie is playing, but there's you know a little bit of credit there, and it's just the actors. I think there's a couple of the major um, behind the scenes credits, like director. Oh yeah, the um, uh, Richard Donner was an executive producer. That's right. On this, yep. uh, I caught that one too. I thought all the Lost Boys, you know, the actual gang, they all gave me Draco Malfoy vibes. <laughs> Each one of them in their own special way just reminded me of him with their like smug smile, but also like the slick back blonde hair. Yeah, yeah. Very funny. <laughs> I love the hairdos in this movie, man. It's so 80s. I know. Like everybody's hair. Everybody except for like. The, the older characters, like the mom and the, you know, uh, Max. Right, but right. E- everybody has like a mullet or a, or a feathered thing or a, 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 a hair metal band hairstyle or something. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joel Schumacher directed this. And the funny thing about Schumacher, right, a lot of times when when I think about him, I'm like, oh, yeah, he wasn't that good of a director. But then I looked at his list of credits and he did St. Elmo's Fire, Flatliners, Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Bat- wow. uh, uh, he did do Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. I think that's what put a sour taste in my mouth. But he also yeah. did that creepy one, 8mm, with Nicolas Cage. Did either of you see that? No. I th- I think I saw it once, but I don't remember it. Uh, I don't, I don't think I can watch it again because it was so disturbing. But it's basically, I think he's like an investigator investigating like this child porn ring or something. Um, but Schumacher Maybe. also. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh, Schumacher also directed Phone Booth and just a bunch of others. And, you know, it's funny because I wrote in my notes. I'm like, I don't understand how he can have so many good movies under his belt and then make two shitty Batman films. <laughs> well, I was going to say maybe he's um, one of those directors who. It, it, it like um, if the script is good, then he can he can do a lot with it. And if the script sucks, then he just sort of goes by the goes through the motions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I was going to I was going to say that. I'm like, there is a level of uh, accountability on the writer's part of most movies. Hmm. Well, and, and I, I oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I imagine that with the Batman movies, the the the. Uh, suits the companies and the suits were probably telling him every day what they wanted so he probably didn't have that much power over it well this is interesting i found this on his imdb page so take it for what it's worth but um on the interviews and audio commentary for the batman and robin 1997 two disc special edition dvd released in 05 uh, schumacher says that he was under pressure from toy companies and warner brothers management to deliver a family-friendly film and admits he went too far in that direction, but he took full responsibility for the end result. And at one point during the interview, he flat out apologizes to fans that were disappointed. Wow! So yeah, that's gotta gotta respect it. You know, when you make a flop, you just just kind of own it and keep going. Right. But right. falling down is such a great movie. I oh, mean, I know. I can't even believe that he directed it. It's so good, you know. But I I flat, had I loved Flatliners too. Flatliners yeah, was great. We saw that together. I think. Yeah. And um, I, I interviewed Dee Dee Pfeiffer, who's um, she's Michelle Pfeiffer's younger sister. She's been in a bunch of stuff. And she had she was the girl behind the counter in the burger place in that famous scene in Falling Down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, she kind of improvised and the director loved it so much. He, hey, he kept it in. But when they went to release the film, it was right. Oh, no. Oh, they were they were shooting the film. And it was right around the time of the L.A. riots. 
and it really put a damper on things. I think it, it hindered the the premiere of the film as well, and they had just had a hard time for that particular scene because that's where the burger joint was located. <laughs> so, um, but but uh, I thought this was interesting. The Schumacher said he's a lifelong Batman fan, and he wanted to adapt Frank Miller's famous Batman Year One comic, but was forced by producers to make a lighter, more family friendly film. So mm. after hearing that, I kind of feel better about things. <laughs> I watched a video last night. Uh, just randomly in you know thinking about thinking ahead about today it was like 10 things you didn't know about the lost boys yeah and one of the things they said was that originally richard donner was supposed to direct lost boys yeah and his in his version the kids were much younger and he wanted it to be more like vampire goonies yeah um and then shoemaker came schumacher came on and and said no 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 let's make them let's have them grow up a little bit let's make them like you know, teen- teenagers or older teenagers, so it'll be more dark and more interesting. So I'm glad. Yeah, I definitely thought that that worked in the movie's favor, especially because of the the age difference between the vampires and the vampire hunters in just demeanor. Because like you said, Mike, uh, the um, the the dialogue in the comic shop when they're when the vampire hunters mind you they're all like you know in their early teens they're telling sam like you know hey the town's infested infested with vampires but they're completely serious they're just really really awkward because they're all a bunch of kids who have Mm -hmm. to now deal with this problem right (laughs) you know i i watched um all the um extras on the dvd like it's all the behind the scenes stuff and um Mm -hmm. i didn't actually take notes on them but i remember a lot of it yeah richard donner what happened was he was set to direct it, but it took so long to get the film off the ground that he he basically said, "Yeah, after a while, if if a project's not going, I move on to the next one." So his wife basically recommended getting Joel Schumacher to direct it, and he was glad he did because he thought the movie came out awesome. But yeah, exactly what you said. They it was supposed to be little kids, and Schumacher was like, "No, let's add horror in." And what was funny was Schumacher was saying, um, the studio heads would come up to him and they go. They, they, you know, look at the dailies or whatever, and they're like, well, is it a horror movie or is it a comedy? And he'd say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I, I don't, I never thought of it as a comedy. I just saw it listed on some website or something last night. It's, it just said The Lost Boys comedy, and I was like, comedy? Right. It's It has funny lines in it, but it's not a comedy. Right, right. Yeah, I, I would put it in the same category as Fright Night in the sense that there's a lot more comic relief, but it's not shoehorned in and it, the movie doesn't try to be try to make you laugh. It just tries to break the tension a little bit. And because of the rest of the movie, it works. Yeah. yeah. And all the characters only say things that they would really say, you know, not right. like lines that are just thrown in for the pure sake of being funny. You know? Right. Right. And he said what made it funny, too, was he said uh, Schumacher said that or actually Corey Feldman said this because um, he was on part of the interview um, that when he sat down with Schumacher and to discuss what his character was all about, Schumacher basically advised him to go and watch uh, Rambo and Chuck Norris movies and some other action star from the era. And he's like, and I want you to meld them all together and become a new character based on that. And he, he absolutely directed the Frog Brothers to, to play it serious. Uh-huh. So and that's where the, the headband came from, I think, from the yes. Rambo. Yep. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought that was so funny, especially when he's like, yeah, we, we staked the one that looks like Twisted Sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my God. So and I think Richard Donner, after he ditched Lost Boys, I think he went directly to Lethal Weapon. Yes, he did produce Lost Boys, but um, he he, he produced was, it. But yeah, yeah, but he didn't direct. But I think right. I think he I believe that they said um, that he directed. Lethal. He he now he had time to do Lethal Weapon because he was off Lost Boys. As a right, right. Um, Schumacher. One other thing I thought was interesting was he directed the music video "Devil Inside," which is the NXS song. Oh, cool. <laughs> so these two people, Jan Fisher and James Jeremias, wrote the original script, which I think it was about the little kids. And then uh, Jeffrey Bohm was brought in to make it more adult and, you know, and, and age the kids and everything. And um, I recognized his name right off the bat because he was one of the creators of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. I don't know if you guys remember oh, that. Wow, but, yes. Yeah. Oh, I remember like the first episode. Yeah, with Bill K- uh, Bruce Campbell. Y- yes. <laughs> yeah, was he like a, what was he like? A, was he like a cowboy or a, of a Canadian marshal? No, something? no, he was a cowboy. And his, um, his father gets killed by this bad guy named John Bly. And so he basically takes it upon himself to bring Bly to justice. And that's the premise of sort of the series. And but like weird things happen, like like his horse is super intelligent. Like it doesn't talk, but it understands everything he says. And sometimes it'll do things that he doesn't want it to do, but it actually works out good. <laughs> the horse, is, the horse is like a dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His name's Comet. <laughs> He's like Comet, sit. And yeah. the horse sits his down. <laughs> and uh, there was other a little science fiction in it, but I remember loving that show. I have to revisit I, yeah. that. He also wrote Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, um, Inner Space. Isn't that the third one? Uh, yeah. Yes, that's the third one. And um, he wrote Lethal Weapon 2 and 3. Oh, yeah. really? I thought Lethal Weapon 2 and 3 were really good. Yeah. 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 Oh, that, that shows. Um, Shane Black wrote the first one. I guess in the, in the first one, yeah, Shane Black wrote it. Um, where where did I have it here? Oh, um but Bohm, um, although he contributed some scenes, he's uncredited on the screenplay. Oh, yeah, right. Um, so he just... Oh, that's what it was. The producers thought the, the script parts of it were too grim. So he came in and sort of lightened it up again. And then for Lethal Weapon 2, Shane Black submitted a script, and it was again rejected as being too dark and too violent. So I guess in Black's original script, the Martin Riggs character dies. So Bohm was hired again to completely rewrite part two. I heard that too. That yeah, that he died. Yeah, and then I guess um, Spielberg had Bohm come in to write the next draft of um, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and George Lucas agreed. And Bohm, <laughs> this is funny. Bohm felt some nervousness going in, some nervousness going into the process. He joked that quote the battlefield was littered with writers before I came on the scene. There were four or five before me. Each writer had their script next to them covered with blood. <laughs> So and then Spielberg came up to him and basically said, um, "You want to get real rich?" And Bohm says, "Yeah, why?" And he goes, "I think you should do the next Indiana Jones movie." <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> um, the poor guy, though. I mean, you know what's his name? Schumacher died at age eighty in twenty twenty, and poor Jeffrey Bohm. He died of heart failure in two thousand from a rare lung disease, and he was real young. I forget he was like, in, oh, I th- think he was thirty eight. Um. So that kind of thirty eight. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Let me confirm that. Oh, what can... year did he die? Uh, uh, oh, did you say the year two thousand? No. Uh, oh, Schumacher 2000? died in two thousand, and Bohm died. 
Oh, but, uh, I'm sorry. Schumacher died in 2020. Bohm died in 2000. Oh, oh okay. So, yeah. No, I, I didn't hear the year on the Bohm one. Oh, that's so I, I, I thought you were saying he was 38 in 2020. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he was 53. No, you were right. He was 53 in Oh, 2000. he was 53. Yeah. Well, still young. I know, huh? To be to be dead. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's jump into the cast here. So we've got Diane Weist, who played Lucy Emerson. She won an Academy Award just prior to doing this for the film Hannah and Her Sisters, which I think was a Woody Allen film. Yeah, I think so. I think Michael Caine was in that, too. Um, but uh, before I tell you who, who she was, what she was in, I want to see if you guys know uh, what movies she was in. Oh, shit. No uh, I know I've seen her in a million things, but trying to pull it, pull it out of my brain... Um, oh. Okay, she was the lady in Edward Scissorhands that finds him. Oh yes, at the beginning and takes yeah. him to the to the neighborhood. She was also in Footloose. Yes, of course, Footloose. Yeah, and that movie Parenthood with Steve Martin, which the only thing I remember about that is we went to see it with John Enos, and it was, the movie was like well over two hours, and at the end he finally he stands up and he goes, "Oh, thank God, I got to go to the bathroom." <laughs> <laughs> John Enos is so funny. I know. Uh, and she was just in a bunch of other films and TV shows. Then we've got Edward Herman, who played Max. Um, the the big thing I remember him fr- from, and I always I always remembered him because I thought it was um, ironic about his name. He was in the TV movie Here Come the Munsters from 1995, where he played Herman <laughs> Munster. Oh no way! <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can see that now that you say now that you said that. I can I can imagine him doing that. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the size, you know, the size, and yeah, even his face a little bit. But he's another guy who was in a ton of stuff. He um, he was in Purple Rose of Cairo, which again I think was a Woody Allen film. Um, Overboard, the one with Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Oh. And he just did a ton of stuff. But the one thing that stood out to me was, I don't know if you remember this at all, Mike. Uh, you might remember this, Spencer. There was a Wonder Woman TV movie in 2011, and I just remember it being fucking horrible. <laughs> he was in that. Yeah. He didn't play Wonder Woman though, but. I don't remember. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you could probably put off. Then we've got. I Jay- remember hearing there was. Oh, go ahead. No, no. go ahead. No. I was going to say, I remember hearing there was going to be a, a Wonder Woman TV series, but that was a few years before the um, Gal Gadot movie. Oh, yeah. And I remember that it was like she didn't look really look like Wonder Woman and the costume was weird. Like we saw these like early photos and I'm not even sure if the pilot ever aired. I think they just scrapped it. Yeah. But anyway. So Jason Patrick, um, he played Finch. I mean, uh, Michael Emerson. Do you get that reference, Spence? Wait, who played Michael Emerson? Jason Patrick. And you said Finch. I'm so, no, I get the reference. So Michael Emerson uh, played a character named Finch on a show I love called Person of Interest. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's basically him and Jim Caviezel stopping crime in New York City, but the the premise of the show is a little bit more complex than that. But oh. um, it, it, that's what it is. What do you mean he played Michael Emerson? In that's what? his character in The Lost Boys. In The Lost oh, Boys. Oh, that's He's... funny. <laughs> oh, oh, their last name is Emerson. That's yeah. so funny. I read the when I first read the synopsis, I was like, "What the fuck? It's <laughs> weird." That's I didn't, so funny. I didn't. I didn't know the. The, the Fincherest reference, so I'm glad Spencer explained it. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure you've seen Michael Emerson, uh, Michael. He's been in tons of stuff. He was in Lost. He was in Lost. Yep. What else was he <laughs> in? Oh, he was in the first Saw movie. Oh, the little guy with the glasses? Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's very good at playing really wily characters. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. When he was on Lost, I hated him. And the, the characters mm-hmm. would always beat the shit out of him. <laughs> He's also been in that show Evil pretty recently with Mike, Mike Coulter and. Uh, yes. What's her name? Yeah. I forget what her name But yeah, that was one, a show I only watched the first two episodes because I just didn't have time to put it into my mm. schedule. But I'm going to have to read it. It's good, that. but it's not like earth shattering. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I always thought Jason Patrick was going to go on to be sort of a Keanu Reeves level star. Um, mm, really? But that, that didn't happen. Yeah, I, I just, after this movie, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be a huge star. But he was in Speed 2 Cruise Control. That's, so. that's such a good name for a sequel to Speed. <laughs> I think the premise, I I only saw it once and I, after I, you know, died laughing. I um I think the premise is, it's like a boat that can't go over a certain speed or it'll blow up or something stupid. That's pretty great. Oh yeah, God. I don't know. I wonder what happened. Like, you know, um, Jason Patrick must have had like a bad agent or something at the time because Lost Boys was such a huge hit. You would think that he would have gotten a lot of good offers, you know? I know. I know. I mean, he did the movie Solar Babies before this movie, and that was sort of his breakthrough, which was about I think it was about a bunch of kid astronauts. I don't think I ever saw it. His acting in this movie was really, really good. I mean, there's a there was a, a point in the movie where I was kind of expecting the movie to go like full 80s tilt because he comes through and he starts turning into a vampire. He turns into like this like moody teenager who's got sunglasses on inside and giving attitude to everybody. I'm like, all right, you're really turning into a shit character. But as the movie progresses, he's like, shit, I don't want to be like this. This isn't me. And then I'm like, all right, all right, I'm getting into it. I'm getting into it. So his character, I thought, was very well executed for what they were trying to do in this movie and he did a he did a fantastic job especially with his uh facial expressions in the background right yeah and uh there's uh, so many good scenes with him but i'll i'll bring those up later on uh of course the late Corey Haim played sam um he died in 2010 at age 38 from pneumonia i always heard it was like a drug overdose or something but interesting he had That's crazy. He, he had a lot of issues in real life after a while uh but him and Corey felt sometimes yeah no go ahead sometimes Sorry. I was gonna say sometimes pneumonia is like happens concurrently with other things going on in the body, and so maybe oh, they yeah. said pneumonia, but there might have been more than one thing happening at the same time. Right, like narcotics could probably bring on like weaken his system and weaken his yeah, it's just, right, right, right. Huh? Yeah, him and Corey Feldman, and Mike, you re- may remember they acted together in a bunch of films. Um, mm. The one I really loved, I thought was hilarious, was License to Drive. Um, they were also in Dream a Little it. Dream together, National Lampoon's yeah. Last Resort. Um, and he was in... <laughs> That's a good title. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think I saw that one either. I'd, I'd be curious to check that out. But he was in this, one of the Lost Boys sequels, The Tribe. He might have been in both. I didn't see it. I on think his he's IMDb. in both. Yeah, okay. I feel like it I would mean, make sense. I haven't seen any of the sequels to these movies, but if you're going to make a sequel to these movies, you have to follow the Vampire Hunters. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, and I yeah I I, want, I haven't seen them. I want to see them now. Actually, I heard they weren't that, all that great, but um, but you know what's interesting, Mike? I didn't. I kind of had forgotten this fact. And Spence, you would love this movie, which I don't think you've seen. It's called Stephen King's Silver Bullet, and he played this young kid in a wheelchair having to deal with a werewolf. Interesting. Do you remember that, Mike? That's pretty cool. Michael, do we lose him? Oh no, I'm oh, back now. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember that movie? 
I heard you say Stephen King, and then I lost you. Oh, so what, what was Stephen King? Silver Bullet. He was the kid in the wheelchair. Yes. Yeah. I was so pissed about that movie because I had read the the novella before the movie came out. The book was so awesomely illustrated, and and of course it was written well. But like the the werewolf in the actual movie was this big puffy, weird looking guy in a bear suit. It just I, <laughs> I hated it. I, hated it. I forgot about so, that. Bernie Wrightson did the artwork in the book. Yes, so good. That brings up a good point, though, about something The Lost Boys and a lot of movies that you can tell they're well directed when they do certain things like um, when you see vampires from the first person perspective, it definitely achieves the goal of we know that the you know main character is being stalked right now or, you know, they're going to do something horrible but we don't have to see everything so they don't have to like waste their budget on effects mm. that they don't actually need just to set the tension right right exactly another interesting thing is i always wondered when they fly are they in bat form or are they just people flying because you don't really you hear like this faint kind of like high-pitched sort of sound in the background whenever they're flying from but like you said from their point of view like a bat wheel yeah, like a squeal. Right, right, exactly. And then when they're hanging, when they're in the thing sleeping, they're hanging, their feet look like they have claws on their feet. Mm, they're right. hanging upside down. But I was always wondering if, like, they wanted to show them with big wings and they just couldn't afford the budget or something. Yeah, they didn't say anything I, in the uh, behind the scenes. I'm but. all in favor of them, you know, pulling a Jaws and not showing us until really closer to the end what everybody is capable of and what it looks like for them mm. and i'm perfectly fine with va vampires have had weird powers the whole vampires flying thing without you know the the transformation thing just always threw me off even as a kid i'm just yeah. like huh? <laughs> Wait, hold on Wait, are they just they just kind of floating there i don't know my brain was always thinking about the at least a level of the science you know, obviously it's a fictional movie but uh I, i'm down with it i thought it was pretty well done especially what later on as we got to see things progress and we actually got to see things progress like at the end when michael is still a vampire and he's like pissed he's like it didn't it didn't work i'm still changing and mm. you can see his eyes and his fangs as he's like now now has to deal with this this affliction even more than he thought yeah i like yeah. that i thought that was good they didn't have to waste all their money in the first two the first 20 minutes and then at the end they're like oh yeah so we're just gonna kind of like pan away from like the the main victim of this scenario you know, you're right. I'll bet you if they ever remade this, they'd have them CGI just fly in, you know, and it would yeah, look Yeah, you can show a lot more, especially because it's a lot easier now. And, I mean, when we were watching the remake of Fright Night, that, that, that note was notable in my head. I'm like, you get to see so much more in just the sense of what they can and can't do because it's so easy now to make those effects happen. I mean, before, the the quick CGI um moments in this film were just to, to give a quick showcase of them flying but we didn't have to watch them on strings flying through the air at somebody right <laughs> i don't know if they used cgi in the lost boys no was there was like no a, cgi back then point of it Utah. was it was weird motion it was oh yeah okay it was Fair. whatever whatever it was right with some she, kind of effect yeah i think are you talking about the michael and david fight 
Yeah, I thought that fight was awesome. The quick the the quick moments where you get to see them like fighting midair, and then finally yeah. it cuts to these close ups. But they've been doing that the whole movie, so I'm like, this is totally in line with the style. I yeah. enjoyed it. I thought yeah. that was really fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I I get. I didn't actually look at the um, effects how they did the effects in this, but I gathered from watching it, and I always kind of thought this that they were on wires in front of a green screen at some point. Mm. But yeah, that's probably what it was. It just to me like the green screen gives the same same visual effect of what. CGI does right. Yeah, right. Sometimes not all. The time. It looked good though. Like it didn't seem to have. Well, maybe because they maybe the, the 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 cuts were were quick or something. But I don't remember noticing like a halo around them when they were in the air or anything. It, it looked pretty clean. They were. It was super super quick cuts, and I thought that was really well done. Of like you get a quick moment of seeing the motion, acknowledging mm. what happened, and they don't linger on it, and they get to continue on with the plot progressing. And I, right. I enjoyed yeah. that. Right. I thought it was very well done and. Uh, well executed. So then we now, move on to the great. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have something to say? No, go go. I was going to talk more about the ending, but we'll oh yeah, we'll get to that because I, I have some things to say about the flying. Um, so we do move on to the the, the wonderful Corey Feldman as Edgar Frog. I always love this guy. You know, we grew up with him, me and Mike. Awesome. Yeah, and he's he was born in '71, so he's pretty much our age. Wow. Um. So I already told you that you know Schumacher asked him to watch a bunch of Rambo films and stuff. Um, but I didn't even have to go to IMDb at first to look at it, to write his credits down because I remembered him from Mork and Mindy, Love Boat. Um, he was on an sh- episode of a show called Open All Night and I just remember it was hilarious. Like he was on trial or he was a witness or something. I, he was, it was about a, a convenience store that was open all night and the wackiness that ensues. And I just remember him like finally breaking down on the stand going, all right, all right, I confess I did it, you know? And he's like this little pipsqueak on the stand. Um, and of course, who who can forget that he was Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Which he also had a cameo at the beginning of part five, if you remember that, where he's in the rain watching Jason do something. Um, nah, I don't remember. I don't think I ever saw part five. <laughs> oh, part, you didn't miss anything. Uh, of course, he was I in the Goonies. <laughs> The Goonies and Stand By oh. Me, and he was the yep. neighbor in the Burbs. I, mean, I don't oh, know. That's that right. <laughs> Yo, <was> Rumsfeld. The... <laughs> I oh. I thoroughly enjoy him doing the little like deep gruff like action movie voice. Yeah, like, mm. there's vampires in Santa Carla, <laughs> and he's like he's like five foot two. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you reminded me of something I was going to say earlier, Roger. In um. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland plays the bully in um, Stand By Me, right? That's right. Yep. And I always felt when I watched, I think I had seen Lost Boys before I got around to watching Stand By Me on video. And whenever I watch Stand By Me, I always feel like it's the same character. Like he was this punk jackass bully. And then at some point he got turned into a vampire (laughs) (laughs) and moved from Maine to California. (laughs) Corey Feldman was in that too. Did he get bullied? I don't really remember that film. Uh. I don't remember exactly. Um, I would have. I think I only saw it once, actually, twice. Oh, <laughs> he was funny in in the Goonies, and uh, of course, he was the voice of Donatello in the original Ninja Turtles film. Oh, he was. Yep, pork rind, pork rind. <laughs> oh God, perfect. That's so funny. I, I yeah, he he really did steal the show every time. It's like it's like we don't ride with vampires, and then they look at each other like. Okay, maybe we do. We do now. Yeah, right. <laughs> we do now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. You were saying earlier about the Corey, Corey and Corey, they were in a lot of movies together. The, the video I watched last night said that Lost Boys was the first one. Yes. They were in together. Yeah. Yeah. I never knew that. I saw an article that said, uh, you know, how they got together and how they ended up working quite a bit together. But I, I only saw the title. I didn't actually read it. So you're, you're welcome, listeners. <laughs> yeah, right. <Very> thorough investigation. <laughs> we did our homework. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he also repri- reprised the role of Donatello's voice in Part 3 of the Ninja Turtles, and he did voices for the video games as well as the 2013 cartoon, but in that he played a character called Slash. Oh. Oh. And the one interesting thing I saw in his IMDb was that um, he's in Goonies 2, which apparently is slated for the year 2027. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> oh my god! So man, he did a great job in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> he will do awesome in that movie. <laughs> Can't oh wait Lord. to see young Corey Feldman coming back in 2027. <laughs> they computer, uh, they do a uh, Jeff Bridges on him and make him look younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They right. probably could make him look like a child again. <laughs> Um, then we had Jameson Newlander who played Alan Frog. Uh, he was in the Blob remake in 1988 with. Um, Matt, what was Kevin Dillon was the main character in that, um, and he was in the Lost Boys sequels, and that's about it really for him. Uh, I have a question about about um, this movie overall. Were the parents ever like actually people? Because they just did not fucking move the entire movie. They looked like mannequins to me. I thought at first I'm like, okay, they're there, and then you look back and they're the, in the exact same position we left them, and I'm like, are they just a front for these two kids to go <laughs> vampire hunting? <laughs> I don't know. Who, I didn't actually who, notice. Who the, the frog parents. They they never showed up once. And you'd oh, the think frog you'd think if they're like, okay, cool, you guys are part of the family business now, saving people, hunting things, the family business. But lo and behold, they're just gonna sit there high as a kite and do nothing while the kids go deal with all of the vampires in Santa Carla. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. It just kind of threw me off. I'm like, they must not be real or something. There must be something there. That's funny. Yeah, the writers probably just didn't want to deal with the, those characters, so they just made them. <laughs> That's actually something else I I want to applaud this movie on is none of the characters that were established were left out. None of the characters that you know, like we didn't. It wasn't like Fright Night where we just kind of like lost track of the mom at some point and got a loose explanation that she's working nights now. Hmm. Uh, you know, we like the mom was was you know very much involved, and they did a great misdirect with Max being the the last yes. guy because I was like. I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, wow, he totally could be, like, the main vampire. That's crazy. And then, like, none of the effects on him worked. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. Well, I guess that's just a, a red herring. And then he showed up at the end. And then they're like, um, not, uh, not Max. Um, what's his face? Uh, the the oh, big Michael? brother there. Michael. He's like, he's like, I'm not transforming back. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn. I think yeah. I had the same reaction when I saw that in the theater. I remember I totally. Well, all right. We'll get into that later. Um, uh, then, of course, we've got the great Kiefer Sutherland. Who I have plenty to say about him. Phenomenal. David. Well, I'll just mention a couple of things. Of course, he's the son of the great Donald Sutherland, which he, he looks just like his dad in this movie. You know, a young a young Donald Sutherland, which I thought was. Well, awesome. I, I never thought about resemblance, but I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, who's he, we could do a show not only on Kiefer but his father too. I mean, Donald Sutherland. You know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and oh yeah, that's uh, the only uh, Donald Sutherland movie that I can think of that I've seen for sure. Oh my God, he's been in so many. You know but, what pisses me off about that movie? As a just a quick soup tangent, 
I, you know, well, I guess, I guess, well, spoiler, that's a spoiler. All right, never mind, never mind. Okay. Um, of course, when I look at him now, it, to me, he's Jack Bauer from 24. <laughs> well, you say that and you're, you're right. Um, he's got plenty of amazing film credits, which I'm sure you can list out, but he's also got an amazing amount, surprisingly, uh, of voice acting credits and some that I have like, N- like named i'm like wait i know that guy's voice and i play. he did it in a couple of video games yeah um who'd he play he w- he was in uh he was in a couple of the call of duties he was in uh call of duty my my favorite role he'll ever play is uh in call of duty world at war he played sergeant roebuck now in this game it's you know it's world war ii so you're going through but he's basically the marine sergeant that you report to so he's got most of the dialogue and all this stuff and he's ordering you around and there's a whole point at the beginning where your your commanding officer essentially gets killed and it's this big thing that like was really really sad you couldn't stop and later on sergeant roebuck he's you know running through running through and i still have some of his voice lines running through my head and i'm like i know this (laughs) I know this is Jack Bauer. Uh, And (laughs) later on, uh, he eventually gets killed. But there's this weird like moment before he gets killed because he essentially gets essentially get duped by some people who are trying to surrender and they end up killing him. I was like, I don't trust these people that they're they're surrendering and all this stuff. In the last second, my character as a little kid just managed to somehow save him. And I failed the mission because (laughs) I saved him because I liked his character so much. Oh, that's Ah. funny. Uh, he's got a couple other uh, amazing credits. He was in uh, one of the later Call of Duties um, as uh, Gideon Jones. It was a very minor role, but it was still there. He played one of the major bosses in the Metal Gear Solid Five, which had two parts to it. But he played uh, Big Boss, uh, also known as Naked Snake, which I'm not quite sure what that means. But I <laughs> think that's I think that I think he's just playing different versions of um, a Solid Snake and stuff like that. Uh, and the last one that actually really matters, he was in Monsters vs. Aliens, fun fact. Which he one was played, he in it? He played General W.R. Munger, oh, Mr. Warmonger. <laughs> he play, I did not I know that until I just read that. He he voiced the, the general, is arguably the funniest character in that movie. Uh, so I was I was shocked to read that. And he's got a few other ones that are much smaller. Um, he, he played Jack Bauer in 24 The Game uh, oh, yeah. and stuff like that. And he has a, his couple other ones. He played uh, Jack Bauer in The Simpsons. Uh, and he had a couple <laughs> other ones right. in that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I love Keith, Kiefer Sutherland, and I was just looking at him the whole movie. I'm like, I'm like, I'm looking at him like, you look the same even I know. now. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> oh my god! I remember watching Phone Booth. I think I think I didn't know when I went in to see Phone Booth whose voice was going to be on the phone. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, that's Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, <laughs> He's got yeah. such a distinctive voice. <laughs> it's great. Oh, man. It's just so funny, though. It's, uh, I just loved Jack Bauer. He'll, to me, he'll always be one of the best heroes because he would stop at nothing. Like, you know, the, the city's in danger. A nuclear bomb's going to go off. He's got a guy tied to the chair, and the guy won't talk. So he yanks a cord from a lamp. It's still plugged into the wall separates the wires and starts electrocuting the guy until he tells him what he wants. <laughs> That's awesome. So, no, at the end to. of 24. Yeah. What? At the end of 24, there's this amazing moment where he he goes into this building and he has to fight a bunch of bad guys in there. And then 
they don't show the fight. They just show this line of bodies. Yeah. It's like seven or eight bodies. And the last dude is dead next to a fireplace with a fire poker sticking out of his chest. Yeah. And you see Jack Bauer just standing there like breathing like, okay, where do we continue? And I remember that as a kid thinking, yep, that's, that's Jack Bauer. That was such that's an awesome show. How many seasons did that show have? I forget. Nine, it was like five. Uh, I can look it up real quick here. Oops. It was a decent amount. Um, Oops. Hold on. Uh, I'm oh, sure you guys are gonna count when I say this, but I've never watched eh, that show. I get it. What? I need. I, I need to. I need to watch it. I. I saw bits and pieces when it was on, and I always thought, oh, that looks interesting, but I never like took the time to sit down and watch it. The, the, I would say the show is very well written because of the concept of 24, where right. you know they mm-hmm. have like 24 episodes, and each episode is an hour in the same day, so it's yeah. very well written, and the plot progresses very effectively and they don't have to like question like travel time x y and z like because if it takes seven and a half minutes to get somewhere that's a big part of the episode right and they'll do a lot of stuff like that in the uh in the commercials so if he's like all right we got to get to the white house or something they cut the commercial and then cut back (laughs) yeah i love that i love the premise of that taking place in real time uh well 24 live another day that's the the one that came out in 2014 that was sort of a revival of the show um there was oh, a couple wow. other ones um there was another 24 series uh that was a couple years after that he was also the designated survivor in the show designated survivor That's which right. i i actually enjoyed and i don't really care for political thrillers all that much but i thought he that was a very very good political thriller yeah because he wasn't you know badass jack bauer is going to go in and fire poker a few dudes he was this like politician who was just so moderate everyone was like if he needs to become president we're all okay with it and like it happens right right i'm trying to see it says episodes 195 episodes oh uh eight seasons over the course of eight. nine years that's impressive yeah and I it's like you watch the show wondering when the hell does this guy ever go to the bathroom he's <laughs> <laughs> Gotta the say, most dude. tired man on earth right <laughs> yeah mike you should add that to your list that's a show i might want to revisit because it's so mm. good um and in this movie i thought he did a fantastic job and i i liked him at the beginning when he really didn't say anything and it was just like you know michael and sam and like like michael's like you know now has to like discover girls and all this stuff and um uh Kiefer sutherland's character not until much later does he start talking but he's like a really very much Draco Malfoy-esque, like, like, like social contract, like type, type, big bad. He was the, right. definitely the leader of his gang, yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. Except he was, he's not as cowardly as Malfoy. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. He actually was like ready to go toe to toe, and he knew, you know, to be. He was very smart about things, right? And honestly, he he actually just got outsmarted, which made me feel better about the whole movie. Once again, to applaud the writing is none of the characters in it were lost to something that was particularly stupid. Every vampire movie I've ever watched, there's always this level of arrogance that the vampire has. Like they're definitely going to win. They can tear you apart limb from limb. So it was nice to see a vampire actually have to fight somebody who had similar strength to him and then subsequently get pummeled for it. Right. (laughs) Then we've got Jamie Gertz, who played Star. Um, you might remember, Mike, that show Square Pegs? Yeah. Uh, she was in that. Oh, yeah. And that was the one with the kid. I, of course, his name's on the tip of my tongue. He played Kirk's son in Star Trek Two. Yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah. Uh, blonde, blonde guy? Yes, yeah. 
Square pegs. Yeah. Square pegs. Square pegs. I don't um, know his name, but I I can see him in my head. Yeah. It's like right there. But anyways, um, she was also in Solar Babies with uh, Jason Patrick. She was in Sixteen Candles, which I kind of blocked that movie out. I was forced to see that because I was with a bunch of friends. I don't think you were there, Mike. And we were supposed to see something, and it got sold out. And one kid said, "Let's go see this movie," and it was uh, a Brad Pack movie. And I'm like, "No, I don't want to go see it." But I went and saw it. I don't remember it. <laughs> Six, Sixteen Candles in yeah. the theater. Yeah. I don't think I saw that in the theater. Did I? Um, she was in Twister too, which I saw in the theater. Yeah, I gotta Colin say, when when I was watching Lost Boys this time around, I she's such a non-character star. Like she's there to serve a purpose, which is to get Michael interested in and to make him cross paths with the vampire gang. Right. But she's so useless. Like she doesn't have any <laughs> meaningful dialogue. Nothing she does moves the plot forward. She's just there. Like she's just there in certain scenes. She's not, she's not, she doesn't even make like even in the scene when they're in the vampire's hideout and, and uh, you know, Michael drinks the blood, she doesn't even do anything significant. She just kind of hangs around in the background and says, Oh no, Michael, don't drink that. Like she's just useless. I mean, right. I, I like though. I like though once again that they kind of gave a loose explanation that she was also a pawn in this whole scheme, and that they probably would have ripped her and her little little. I, I guess that's her, her sibling. No, uh, her, I think he was brother. just another kid, laddie. Um, his picture was on one of the milk cartons because he was missing. Yeah, yeah, she. They would probably would have ripped that kid apart too. Uh, so I I agree with you that she should have done more, but at the same time. I kind of liked that after that after a certain point she was like wait Michael might actually be able to resist this to some extent or escape yeah. or something like that and when, like when she comes to visit and f- fucking Sam's like hiding under the covers like she's one of them she's one of them yeah. oh yeah. shit oh shit and he's yeah. just like like just yelling things out as they're having a conversation about what just went on and I'm like following their conversation Sam's under the covers he's like yeah if you kill the head vampire you turn back and he's like worried they're gonna turn and like attack him. Yeah, <laughs> but see, that's a that's yeah, that's an example of a scene where the stuff it's funny because of the way he's doing it, but the fact that he's panicking and the stuff that he's saying is is on track with what he would probably really do in that situation. So right, you know, it's 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 funny, and I agree with you, Spence. It's enjoyable, you know, for that reason. It it, it kind of cracks you up, but I like the fact that they didn't overdo it and have him just being like goofy, you know. Right. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. A, he wasn't well a weird done. character. He wasn't. He was, you know, as you know, relatively normal as you can get. He had his he had his quirks and all that stuff. But like, when you're <laughs> when you don't know what to do because now you're like, oh shit, there now I've got two half vampires in my room that want to have this serious conversation about events I've never heard of. One of them's my brother uh, and his like pseudo girlfriend. Oh well, shit! What do I do? Right. <laughs> Panic. <laughs> Hide under my bed covers. It's the most reasonable thing you can do. Right. I right. really like the line in the beginning when he meets the the uh, Edgar and Allen in the comic book store. I think it's the second time he goes in, maybe, and uh, the uh, Corey Feldman says, uh, "Here's a vampire comic. Our number is on the back. Pray you never need to call us." Right. <laughs> and, and Corey Haim looks at him and he goes. I pray I never need to call you. <laughs> like, just, he just humors them. Uh, yeah. I, I liked also the, um, I, at first I really didn't like the Frog Brothers. The first, like the the very first time they show up, they're kind of kind of dickish and really obnoxious to him. Um, you know, they're just like, you know, 
oh, I see you're new here. Ha ha ha. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Like kind of trying to figure out if he's a vampire or not. And then yeah. and then but later on, he's like, so anyways, you guys don't have your comics organized. And he, they're like, yeah, taking aback. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Superman 100 shouldn't be with with this because he hasn't met Lori Lamaris yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they were the the looks on their faces were really, really well done. Like, did this kid really just show us up in our own store? Right. Like, uh oh. So the only one of the um, the actual lost boys, other than Kiefer, that I wanted to mention, of course, is Alex Winter, who played Marco. He also played Bill S. Preston Esquire in Bill and Ted's the Bill and Ted trilogy. Um, The one thing I found that was interesting for him, um, he Spence, you'll appreciate this one. He directed a bunch of stuff, including the two live-action Ben 10 movies, Alien Swarm and Race Against Time. Oh, yeah. He directed them? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. They, they, they were okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, a hard, it's a hard concept to follow, especially were when those... you have a bunch of episodes to put on the big screen. Yeah. Was, was, were they theatrical movies? No. They were made no, for TV. Made it was based TV. on a cartoon oh. called Ben 10 about this kid ben that 10. finds this alien yeah, watch. Yeah, I know. Oh, you're familiar? Yeah, and, okay. and, and he can turn. Yeah, I always thought it was a cool concept, but I never actually watched the show. Yeah. The the, the best part of the, that whole show is the fact that the, like, the uncle is part of the plumbers, this like intergalactic police force. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best part. So he has 10 different alien forms he can transform into. Is yeah, that it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's very comic book-esque. Like, he's Ben Tennyson. Um, yeah. Uh, and like his his grand his grandpa is a plumber, and they literally just call themselves the plumbers because they have to go and get rid of like all the stuff out of the galaxy. Yeah. Um, but that that show had some very serious concepts. So, and those movies I remember as a kid like liking them because they were live action Ben Ten, but not thinking that they were any sort of masterpiece. And it's hard. That's a hard. That's a hard act to follow. Right. Right. Uh, Especially so following I, I, animation, you know. Yeah, exactly. I I applaud him for just you know just putting those together in any capacity. That's really sick. I I saw him. I'm like that looks a lot like Bill from Bill and Ted. So I'm like, right. mm, I could be wrong, but that really could be him. And then I love that he just gets staked with like right. no with no holds barred, dead before the fight begins. Yeah, shit, gone. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Yeah, well, his his um. His player couldn't make that session, so they killed his character <laughs> right at the beginning. <laughs> well, these things happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh that God. that you know, this time around when I was I, before, I always accepted the fact, like, okay, they, they 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 go into the cave and they see them sleeping, hanging upside down, and then they you know they just decide to they happen to stake that you know Bill S. Preston Esquire because he was right there, but. Now, this time, this when I watched it last week, he goes, oh, let's just, they said, oh, which one, how do we know which one's the lead vampire? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And then he goes, well, let's just start with the small one. And I'm like, don't start with the small one. <laughs> no kidding. Like, it's going to wake everybody up and then you're going to have to fight the big guy. And, you know, like, <laughs> that's a good don't point. Do that. Yeah. Oh, man. This that was great. Time, this is the first time I've watched a vampire movie and nobody, like, dies of, like, sunlight. Yeah. But they came close when the kids were escaping from the from their lair. The sunlight yeah, you know, true. his hand caught on fire, but yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes what I what I remember from many vampire movies is the big thing is that, you know, it's so hard to kill a vampire. Finally you trick the lead vampire who's been alive for hundreds of years mm-hmm. uh, into being awake past dawn and then you, you know, shine sunlight on him and kill him for good. That didn't happen in this movie uh, anywhere. 
Right, right. Right. They staked them. Yeah. <laughs> some, of, some of them did get fully evaporated in some way, shape, or form. But yeah. uh, they 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 staked them all or like holy watered them. I thought that I like that they were kind of creative with the the killings and the deaths and stuff. It was it was fun. Oh yeah, yeah. And what's cool is this movie had an eight point five million dollar budget and it grossed thirty two million at the box office. It was a huge wow. hit. Hell um, yeah! For the end of July in eighty seven, and that's of course what spawned the sequels. But uh, I think they went. Uh, I guess it was a couple of comic book series about the Lost Boys, which I'm be yeah. curious to see. I've heard that too. It's so hard to make a sequel to a franchise, but then not have it connect in any like direct way to the first one. Mm. It's so hard to just be to like how do you, like 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 you said about the speed sequel. Like, are we just gonna take the same concept and make a new film, or are we going to take the same characters and you know do something a little different? Well, and I think in the Lost Boy sequels, it's the Frog better. Brothers. Is is it? Yeah. I mean, I hope yeah. so. If that's yeah. the case, that's probably yeah, a little is. bit better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's still, their continued it's, adventures. I just guess it's, it's poorly written. It's very hard, though. I mean, it's, it's also funny because the, the movie is called The Lost Boys, i.e. The, the main focus is the fact that it's this gang of dudes who are the vampires. And then like the Lost Boys too, are they just are they just hunting like gangs of male vampires? Well, well no, the, what are you gonna do? Change the title every time you the, do a scene? I know, right? The, well, the name <laughs> Lost Boys, though, is from Peter Pan. That's yeah. what Peter Pan and his buddies on the island there called themselves. They were the Lost Boys. Yeah. They would never yeah, grow old. They never died. My, I actually sent that to my, my sweet mate. I was like, it's a movie called The Lost Boys. And he's like, oh, yeah, they're from Peter Pan, right? I'm like, no, it's a vampire movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what? That's but yeah, funny. I mean, they all live. They're all, you know, basically teenagers. And they all just have their own hideout. And they run around and do whatever the fuck they want. They don't have any parents. They don't have to. There's yeah. no curfew. There's no responsibility. You know, never grow old, never die. That I'm. That's the best slogan. I, I, this yeah. movie for me has two two things that that are, it's like number one in my book. The slow the slogan on the poster: um, sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. The yeah. Lost Boys. I was like, <laughs> that is the best movie slogan ever. Oh yeah, and also soundtrack. I yes. Think this, this movie's soundtrack is just so awesome. I've listened it to it just, so many times this past week. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just good. It was consistent, too. Yeah. I like that. I, I thoughtly enjoy when they, like, like oftentimes I've seen this in movies that come out now. They, they like, have, like, an artist make a song that has to do with the movie, and then they save it for the fucking credits. Right. Yes. They, they did that with the movie Venom with Tom Hardy, and I was pissed because the song that they had Eminem make was like, you know, pretty half decent and they didn't use it. Oh, this geez. one you get the Lost Boys, you know, every action sequence you hear Lost Boys yeah. coming up. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. Oh, yeah, oh. it was very moody and they used the songs in the right places and yeah. No, I had a question though. In the scene where Michael and uh, Star are about to make love and they're kissing and whatnot, they're playing the song "Cry Little Sister," and the lyrics are "Come, come to your brother." And I was feeling a little uncomfortable uh, this time around. I'm like, why are they playing a song about brother and sister? But then I kind of interpreted as maybe in the same way that like. People who do in like the kung fu movies, you've got men and women that are training in the same place, and they refer to each other as brother and sister, even though they're not blood related. So I'm thinking it might be a kindred kind of thing because they're both half vampires. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I didn't even like 
apply the it. lyrics literally to the scene, but I see what you mean. Yeah. Mm. It, I thought it, the sex scene was pretty well executed in the sense of because once the the scene had progressed a little bit, I personally am not a fan of the style of scene when like Michael is like drinking the the blood and like getting into it. I really thought that that just was like just not my style. I'm like it's whatever. It's not all that bad. But when the sex scene came on, and by the time I was like, okay, we can move on from this. I understand the situation. They cut to the next scene. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes, yeah. Yes. Thank yeah. you. That's exactly what you do. You just I have a quick snippet. Quick snippet, yeah. and you're good. Yeah. I say that all the time when I'm watching a movie, especially if there's a sex scene or something. I'm like, okay, we get it. We get it. They fuck. Move on. And you know what's <laughs> funny? And the deleted scenes on the on the Blu-ray, it's um it's literally one of them is them two like kissing for five minutes. And then oh it's like I can see why they cut that out because like you said, they didn't need it. You know, all right, we it, get it. They're gonna have sex and then move on. Yeah, like it actually had like I, okay, it had a bit of impact on the plot because they do establish that she was supposed to kill him at a certain point. So like I'm, I was perfectly fine with them with with it being there because it did actually make sense in the purpose of the yeah. plot that that David was kind of setting up this like catch twenty two of one of them's going to kill the other and they're going to get another part of their gang. Now yeah. that yeah. I would have liked to see that if she if there had been you know, for the audience, uh, uh, at least a, a brief bit of like, is she really interested in Michael or does she have this ulterior motive of like, she sort of wants like part of her is turning into a vampire and she wants to feed. So yeah, she's attracted to him, but maybe once she, you know, her heart rate picks up, maybe she starts like really trying to fight off the urge to feed on him. And, and, and that it would have been, I, I think they could have done something with her character and it would have been, you know, Right. Yeah, yeah. I see your point. It wasn't. It wasn't all that bad. I mean, they did kind of establish that, you know, she was just kind of like weak-willed in the sense, in that the moment that she's not sitting around with David, that her, she actually can has a bit more agency in what she does and how she does things. Yeah. Now the question I had about the scene where Michael drinks the blood, and you've got blood in a wine bottle, and it hasn't been refrigerated, so why isn't that blood congealed? I, it's vampire blood, bro. It's magic, man. <laughs> oh, it's va- no. Actually, that makes sense. You're drinking David's blood. Okay, I didn't even think of that. Well, I, I, <laughs> I thought, I thought. Um, again, I hate to keep referencing this video I watched the other, the other night, but the guy who did that video, I don't know if it's stated anywhere for sure, but he seemed to think that it was Max's blood in the bottle. Oh, maybe. Probably. Either way, it was definitely vampire blood because if any blood would work, could you imagine that they're just like, you just need to go out and drink something's blood? Like, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's definitely vampire blood. blood. Doesn't either Star or David tell Michael at some point that it was David's blood? Oh, maybe. Well, they, no, she just. Oh, says yeah. He says, blood. "My my blood is in your veins." Yes, he does say that. Yeah. Yes, you're you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I okay. That so was something I was trying. That's the only problem I have with this movie. The only thing is that it it's kind of feels almost like a cop out. Like the only thing that needs to happen for him to start turning into at least a half vampire is for him to drink blood out of a bottle. Like he doesn't get bit. He doesn't get. He doesn't drink from anybody else. He's there's no, it's there. What it, I don't know. It just took something away from the whole. That's a good like, point. Yeah, there I, were no neck bites. Uh, yeah, there wasn't any. There wasn't any any neck neck assaults. Uh, I don't know. I'm not married to that 
concept because like vampire lore as a whole is really really weird and skewed in my opinion it just tends to get really really awkward after a certain point like the garlic thing it like in the lore makes no sense and even now it makes no sense well garlic kills poisons in your blood i like the explanation though that dracula is just allergic to garlic and that's (laughs) why people think it works uh and they actually even later on established like he's like garlic doesn't work what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) right (laughs) garlic doesn't work boys Oh, man. You know, and it's funny, though, too. I just wanted to backtrack a little bit. We were talking about the fact that the Lost Boys is also a reference to the Lost Boys and Peter Pan. And I love the fact and I I picked this up right away when I first saw this movie, you know, when I was a kid. um, Edgar and Allan Poe, you know, (laughs) I I didn't even think of that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh Yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Frog Brothers. I love it. The fact that they introduce them in that order, like Edgar and Alan, like that, I just I just started laughing right away. Right. Like, oh, that's really that's really cool. It it just didn't hit. I like I like also that the the dogs were kind of like like a um uh, a thing in this movie that they yeah. weren't like you know they they weren't this like critical part i mean they're part of the family but they weren't they were good characters but they weren't like this critical plot point except for when the the fucking the the husky there fucking bumps marco into the the um yeah. of holy water i'm yeah. like that's awesome and i was also thinking when i was watching this movie they kind of they they kind of tricked me i'm thinking okay max is innocent not a vampire shit that's crazy and then his dog thorn gets all fucking crazy and i'm yeah. like what the fuck did they just like turn the dog instead of instead of max what the fuck i'm like that's weird and then by the end i was like a little ashamed of myself i'm like god damn it and that's <laughs> like, another thing this out the name thorn there's some kind of sinister connotation with that too right mike wasn't that in like the ha- halloween five or something or the curse of michael myers where they explain the cult of thorn uh, i would i don't remember but i would i i wouldn't be surprised yeah that sounds well you saw the halloween movies right spent right spence uh i haven't seen i don't remember four five and six might have been six yeah i don't know well anyways i I always feel like there's some kind of supernatural connotation with the name thorn um there was something else too and i forgot what that was but you know oh that's what i was gonna say why didn't um why didn't nanook growl at max when he was invited in was it because his powers were nullified by having been invited in or, yeah, I think I'm the sorry, whole the whole vampire aura was gone once Michael invited him in. Right. I think that they, they were a little. They're always movies that use dogs are always a little inconsistent. Yeah. They always kind of forget, like, well, you know, yeah, why didn't the dog notice this first, or why didn't you know, how did they sneak up on the dog, or you know, yeah. It's, um. Yeah, but they did establish that like he had a, like he had a reflection, you know, like they did establish that that was a thing and that his yeah. powers were nullified. There's actually um part of the uh. That was uh, a vampire the masquerade thing is um it it is the fact that like the older you get the more powers you have and the more powers you have typically the stronger they are so i imagine that if you're some elder nosferatu level vampire you can probably turn your shit off for, for even animals to not really notice you yeah well and also like we said you know he was invited in it nullified his weaknesses yeah so and- you know you know, in the beginning, Thorn growls at the Lost Boys when they come into the store. Uh, That's right. And, and he says, Thorn, you know, be quiet. But I think it's just he simply knows that 
Max is doesn't want them in the store. So when they come in, he's like, yeah, <laughs> get out of here. Oh, my God. All right. Now, here's one that I thought was I always thought this was odd for the first time I saw it. So the the Lost Boys are on the motorcycles and they're basically almost kind of storming the house that Michael and Sam are in. But not really. They're somehow terrorizing them, creating wind, shining their headlights in them. And then they're gone. Do they fly away and carry the motorcycles with them? That, I did notice that. I thought that was kind of <laughs> weird. Um, they did that a couple of times where they I, – I like actually that they incorporated the motorcycles and all that stuff as part of their like gimmick for when they yeah. were hunting people. Yeah. Um, like they did it when they – when you think they're about to attack Max. Right. Uh, you like see them in the distance and all that stuff and you don't see them. You only see the headlights. I enjoyed that. I thought it was cool. But that is a good point because it looks like they're moving laterally across the window because yes. the headlight is still coming in to the house <laughs> even though the they're supposed to be driving the the motorcycles right so I'm, i wonder if they're just holding it i'm gonna oh, uh i'm gonna i'm gonna introduce what way i interpret it is is it's a um a version of how they can mess with people's heads like the whole maggots in the chinese food thing like um. they they can kind of mess with your perception so yeah they were there doing their thing but they probably did a little whammy so that the people inside would be extra freaked out like okay now right. we're going to leave but they're not going to notice us leaving and suddenly you know right whatever. yeah probably interesting interesting and they didn't seem to have a lot of powers but they could somehow create like a windstorm that, that was, was in that was in fright night too that's a very weird thing i think that's a cinematic thing maybe honestly i yeah. think it's just one of those like like stylistic choices that helps the audience realize okay these are definitely vampires right right <laughs> oh my god and, and the, of course the scene where they're it looks like they're tormenting max i guess like max created them but then they they were just being rebellious teenagers and they didn't want to deal with them but they somehow are able to land a kite perfectly on his head which you can barely get those things in the air. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I don't remember. That. And it's a bat-shaped was... kite. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know, right? How do they do that? Right. Uh, I did think that was pretty good. Actually, I wish that they used their, uh, I don't know, perception-altering powers more in in some very open, direct way in the movie because they do it, you know, Kiefer Sutherland does it to mess with Michael's head just to, you know, poke fun at him or whatever. And then maybe they did it in that scene I was talking about with the motorcycles and whatnot. But I really wish there had been at least one scene where it was really obvious to the audience that the vampires had, you know, messed with someone's head to the point where they perceived something differently than what really happened. And it would have right. been, I don't know. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of options that they could have gone with. I liked personally as a stylistic choice that immediately was a benefit to the movie was at the very beginning, um, the first character, like legitimate character that gets established that we see is David. We see him with his, you know, bright white blondish hair as he's yeah. walking through the carousel which was weird enough for me um and, and then he like walks by this like girl who's like super attracted to him and her boyfriend starts to like pick a fight right uh, and i thought that it? was I, I was gonna say i thought that was really interesting that he like walks by and she's immediately semi-infatuated with him i'm like aha oh, yeah. So yeah probably That's a good an important person and did you notice that the those two were the ones in the car like the, the, where the roof roof got ripped off yeah 
No, I didn't. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. Because he had like yeah. a white streak in his hair or something. That's how I always remembered that. And then the first guy they killed was the security guard. That's right. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's like very funny. <laughs> you know, and why did they kill him? Was it? I mean, he he mentions that. Oh yeah, I threw you out of here before. You need to leave, or something to that effect. And well, it's Pop, like, like you said, they're rebellious teenagers. What else are you going to do? They don't but, have any sense of like like being too subtle because it's the vital capital of the world. Who gives a shit? They're, but why would they have killed died. him before is my question. Yeah. Well, I think there are I think there are a little too many witnesses almost. Yeah. Or maybe maybe last time it was just David by himself and now there were like two or three of them and maybe they, yeah. As yeah, or they, they just they just pick their out. targets and say fuck it. <laughs> right, yeah. right. They're just yeah, like, oh, this they, guy pissed me off today. The last Kill. time they had something else in mind or somebody else that was more appealing to them on that particular night. And it definitely they didn't like, seem like they had to go hunting every night. That was kind of something they semi-established. Like they only had to go and like, you know, eat a, eat a person every few days. Right. Or something like yeah. that. Uh, and that, even then they were burning the bodies. I was that like, that whole, just... yes. That feeding frenzy on the beach that, that, you know, David tried to get Michael involved in. That was so cool. I don't even remember that from watching it before. One of them takes a bite out of the bald guy's head like it's an apple. That was yeah. so funny. Dude, the, the blood splatter was fucking hilarious to me. Yeah. I love when David yeah. says to Michael, he goes, you'll never grow old, Michael, and you'll never die, but you must feed. Yeah, it, I thought that was pretty cool. That was also the first moment in the movie that we get to see them with their vampire eyes and fangs. Yes, yeah. I thought that was... It, I was I was wondering about that. I'm like, are they going to show us anything? And then they do, and I'm like, all right, sick. We get to kind of know what they look like. And they, yeah. they get really pale, too. Yeah. This movie yeah. did a very good job of, like, you know, giving us, for lack of a better term, feeding the audience little bits at a time like implying things and doing things a little bit indirectly it's it's happening right, right in the scene but you can't really see it and piece by piece and then finally like you said we get to see you know we know they're vampires but we finally get to see them like fang out and go nuts and that was cool yeah the, there's no reason to like besides the title of the movie there's actually no reason to suspect that at any point the gang of teenage boys is responsible for the mysterious like killings that have people flying into the air. Right. Yeah. Right. There's really no good reason to suspect them for any of that besides besides stylistic choices like the title and what and like David's appearance. So that's the first moment where we get pure confirmation. Even they even say it. They're like, now you know what we are. Now you know what you are. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. I love when and I never really understood this either. When Michael's asleep on the bed and he wakes up like uh, with his face pressed against the ceiling because he just floats right up. <laughs> it's like, w what is it when you first get your powers, like gravity goes haywire on you or something? It mu yeah, it must be like he couldn't really control it. He's like holding on to the phone yeah. like as he's flying <laughs> out the window. Don't listen to yeah, that was funny. And then Sam... I wonder if he was dreaming about flying and then he woke up and he was oh, maybe. Well, like he pissed the bed. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Sleep flying. <laughs> or like, um, yeah. Or like, because he wakes up, right? He wakes up with his face pressed against Yes, the, yeah. So maybe he was thinking about it or dreaming about it and then... That's yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting that that he's like kind of, you know, the half vampire to the point where he's literally semi-transparent right. <laughs> in the mirror. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> and when Sam figures it out that he's a vampire, he's like, you're a vampire, Michael, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wait till mom finds out. I was like, that's so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. I like the way... 
Jason Patrick played Michael. I mean, maybe it's this way in the script, but like he he wasn't freaking out that he, things were changing, you know, that, that he was changing. But he also wasn't. I don't know. I, I felt like he he like like Spencer said, he was a little bit like too cool for school during some of the scenes. But at, at, you know, he was sort of blowing it off like yeah, whatever. It's that that you know he's kind of ignoring it. But then when he realizes it's happening, he doesn't. They they didn't they didn't overdo like his disbelief stage, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't panic about the, like his little transformation. He just kind of thinks it's like, Oh, I just went out and had too much to drink with these fucking weirdos down at the docks. Yeah. The the first couple of times he's like, whatever. And then when he has this like semi heart attack of finally having vampires in his head, kind of compelling him to go kill his own brother. He's like, okay, now I got to like actually pay attention to what I'm doing. Right. Right. And you know, I didn't read this anywhere online, but I wonder if, if the that's a whole metaphor for puberty, even though he's well past puberty, you know, the whole him turning into the vampire thing. But then he he successfully resists it, which is good or for the oh, most his part. behavior pissed me off because I could relate to it. I'm like, you're just a, you're just a moody 17 year old. You'll grow out of it. Stop being a dick. Right. Your body's <laughs> changing. So I was just so <laughs> yeah, your, yeah. You're gonna go through some changes yeah, that you're not changes. you're not ready for. It's okay. You can talk about them. Right. <laughs> I was I was just so pissed off with when he's like ignoring his mom. I'm like, bro, come on, man. We've all been there, but like, come on. And after he, after he's like start his his relationship with his brother was not something I can relate with as my me and I mean I my brothers are. I can kind of relate a little bit, but like my sister and I, that I grew up with, I just, we are just at each other's throats at all times. Yeah. So I cannot relate to this. Like I'm your brother. Help me thing. Like, if I said that to my sister, she'd be like, bye. And then stab me in the <laughs> chest. <laughs> so, you know, it's, yeah. I thought that was pretty neat and pretty enjoyable to watch, especially when like just small details, like uh, a couple of times, like Sam just kind of like, like nudges Michael with his head. I'm like, that's so so cool to see yeah so i can't relate <laughs> yeah they had a very good brotherly relationship i love that about this movie and I, you could tell that before they got to santa clara the mom 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 uh, lucy's a very wholesome person and she raised them to be good boys and um when he starts vamping out and he starts being an asshole there's like this big contrast you know especially every right. time she tries to talk to him he blows her off and she's like what the hell's going on with him right and he gets the earring and he has to wear the sunglasses indoors now. And, you know, like you said earlier, he's, you know, he's just not doing, she's like, you know, I want you to do this. He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, I remember him saying piss off to <laughs> Sam. Sam says something about the earring. Yeah. It's not yeah. you, Michael. It's definitely not you. Piss off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah. No, I, that to me, that to me was a lot more siblingly. Yeah. sibling ish right. i was like i was like i would say as my brother if he was like poking in like my private business and i totally didn't want him po- didn't want him poking yeah. around piss off. yeah is that any way to talk to your mom sorry piss off mom <laughs> <laughs> um what was the thing i was gonna say oh i just um i just um love the scene with the garlic necklace that sam's got on <laughs> You yeah. smell like garlic. Have you been eating pizza? Yeah. He's <laughs> like, no, why? <laughs> Quickly closes the bathroom. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. That's awesome. And oh again, it was a little silly, but not over the top. It was funny, you know. It was panicking. funny because he was serious. Yeah, That's what yeah. was funny about it. He wasn't yeah. like smirking at the audience like, ha, 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 I'm wearing garlic like they told me to. He's like, no, I'm wearing garlic like they told me to. 
Yeah. You know, it, for some reason, this is, I guess we would mention the mother, and uh, I was just thinking in the extras, in the extra footage, uh, or deleted scenes, I should say, um, there's a scene where it's a, it's a more extended version of um, Lucy and Max having dinner at a restaurant, and she says to him, you know, she's telling him her life story and basically says, yeah, I've just been so lonely, and he's like, yeah, I know the feeling. And I thought that would have been a cool line to keep in, even though the you probably couldn't because you would ha- the scene wouldn't work. But that I thought to me that kind of illustrated when you find out he's the head vampire that he's probably been around a long time and yeah. ha- you know has suffered loneliness on a scale that a regular human couldn't even imagine. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of like enjoy that they have this. They they insinuate a lot of details about Max as opposed to the lost boys themselves because once again never grow old that would suck <laughs> if i got <laughs> stuck at like age 17 or 18 for the rest of my life that would suck so bad well, because i would just laddie laddie was... like 11 i was just gonna <laughs> yeah, say that that would be I know, worse right? like that would suck so bad so i found, I found it really interesting that he kind of has this like like adult view of things you know like he wanted to you know ingratiate people into the into his little family there whereas they just wanted to go and just like kill people because it was fun Fuck shit up yeah. yeah yeah i thought that was very interesting i'm like yeah i'm like yeah you guys probably wouldn't be my friends but i mean i kind of get it yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah i get the sense he wanted to like mentor them but then they became such a handful and he was like fuck right just, Boys, on, he, he, and he contradicts himself because he says something like "boys need a firm hand," and then at a later point he sa- he he says the opposite or something, like the, "oh, they can just go but grow." Up. What is it? Boys need a mother. Yeah, he says that. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the deleted scene because he contradicts himself and says, "oh, oh, boys uh, work better on their own" or something like that. And she's the, uh, oh. Lucy's like, "oh, you just said a while ago that they need a mother," you know. Oh. But yeah, would... I, I'm glad they kind of didn't keep that in. It definitely would have hurt his little message there of like, you know, you got to discipline these boys. Otherwise, they're crazy. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. My boys are fine. And then you like you find out that his kids are the fucking gang going around killing people like, OK, yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> oh, man, there was a lot of tense scenes in this. Like, I remember when I first saw it, the scene where Michael almost drives over the cliff and then the scene where they're hanging from the. The, the things on the, under the train tracks, that scared the crap out of me. I was like, oh, my God, what the hell? How are they going to get out of this, you know? Yeah. And even then, at that point, we didn't know there were vampires. And I remember wondering, how is he hearing their voices? <laughs> it also bugged me that Michael just did everything. Like, David just tried to goad him into doing things, and he just did it. It just, right. you know, come on down here, Michael. Hang off the bridge with us, Michael. And he's like, I would have been like, fuck you. I'm out of here. You know, right. I mean, by that point, by that point, though, he had already drank the blood. So they oh. had this level of like supernatural influence on him. But oh. I thought it was really funny that st- like at no point did David and Star do anything to insinuate that they were at all in any way involved with each other right. besides Star getting on the back of his motorcycle. Right. So yeah. there's this level of like 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 hanging Star over over Michael's head like I got something you want, you want it, come get it. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. And the scene where Nanook is tied to the fence and the wind is picking up and they know, like, I loved I loved the whole Alamo kind of thing where they had a um, they hole up in the house and they do, yeah. do the the montage, the preparation 
I, my mic cut out there. The whole preparation montage, like in the Monster Squad, where they get the holy water and the this and the that, and and yeah. Sam runs out to untie Nanook from the fence, and he can't do it, so Michael has to run out and help him. And that whole sequence was so tense. I loved it. Yeah. And everybody was telling him not to go out in the first place. He's like, it's my dog. I'm not leaving him out there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, truly. I I actually really enjoyed that uh, because up until that point, Nanook was actually a good part of the family. You know, he had a couple of moments and he mattered for a lot of the time. So if they just left him out there, I would have been pissed. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a shot. I think it's after that scene where they get into the house and they're all heading upstairs. And Corey Feldman does this thing where he kind of does... He's still in motion, but he turns and looks to see, make sure there's nothing behind him. And I just love the way that was shot, like the dynamic action of the characters in that scene. Mm. Yeah, little things. There's little things that... Um, <laughs> they they're ca- fight in that... Oh, go on. I was going to say, they're carrying Laddie and Star into the house. That might have been the scene. And... um Grandpa shows up and he's like, Mem, you know the rule about putting gas in the car? No, Grandpa. Well, you do now. <laughs> like he doesn't that's it. So he yeah. knew. <laughs> that's a great point of foreshadowing because he knew about the vampires. Yeah. He didn't question I, what they were doing. I also like that there's a level of, yes, he knew, but also more importantly, he knew that they would either figure it out or they're probably going to bring the vampires to his house. So he was going to be ready for it. Right. Yes. Which that I I think that's I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I wasn't sighing because of that. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I keep I keep like jumping in when somebody else is starting a sentence. That's fine. Um, I like the final line of the movie. I like the way yes. the movie ends, where like the fight is over and everything's and they're like, okay, it seems like everything's going to be okay. And how do you end a movie like that? And then the grandfather just goes, ah, you know, I always hated about living in Santa Clara, all the damn vampires. Right. Like Lucy and Sam and everybody's looking at him like, you knew? Like, right. why yeah. you tell us we got here? I, I was literally thinking, I'm like, I'm like, how on earth are they going to beat this fucking Max ass vampire? He's so fucking powerful. Matt, fucking Michael runs up to him, gets fucking thrown to the second floor. He's a vampire. He's got, you know, I thought he was about to snap Sam's neck. I'm like, well, this is fucked. We're over. All right. Yeah. Guess this guess this plot's over. And then you hear <laughs> in the distance. No, and I was, was cheering. It was the it was... <laughs> right. I don't think I, I don't think it was that. I thought yeah, it I was. think it was the it was I because I, I, they played it twice because he beeped it at the beginning. So you would remember it at the end of the movie. Yeah, they they set it up really well. They do it twice during the movie, and then at the end you hear it coming. Yeah. Now, what I want to know is, all right, so now that we've established that Grandpa, that was a foreshadowing Grandpa, because I didn't even think of this before, I because my original question was, how the hell did he aim the truck just right, knowing that one of the poles would go only to Matt? Well, um, what's his name? Michael pushed Max into the pole as it was flying through the air. Yeah. But he could have killed anybody in there, you know? I think that's I think why he blew the horn. Oh. I think that's why he, he blew the horn to let them know, I guess, that he was I mean, they couldn't have guessed that he was going to smash through the wall, but they they he blew the horn to let them know maybe that he was coming or that some, that he was there. Right. And so the rest of them kind of just got the fuck out of the way. And uh, I originally had a criticism that it was Grandpa who killed Max. It, it should be the main character that dispatches the main bad guy. But then I realized that Michael does dispatch him by pushing him into the stake. Yeah. 
So. And I love how like the steak goes into his chest and he goes flying into the fireplace and it's like this big kabam. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's great. Yeah. Read the and TV. The death, guy. Oh, sorry. Death by stereo. Was yes. Too. Death by stereo was so awesome. And holy shit. It's the attack of any monster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Read the TV. I remember guide. The you first... don't need a TV. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember when I saw that movie, when I saw that movie in the theater, uh, the, when I saw it in the theater the first time, the death by stereo, I remember thinking that was so over the top, but I fucking loved it. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> the head explosion really caught me off guard. Yeah. I was, wasn't ready for that. Was he was being electric? And I'm like, oh man, that's crazy. Pop. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so exaggerated, but in such a cool way. It was like, all right, I can't, I can't find fault with that. That was awesome. <laughs> right. It right. was very, very enjoyable. I liked all the kills in this. Yeah. Like even yeah. the fact that they just staked the first vampire. Like. They did it. They actually snuck in and successfully did it. The only difference was they just had numbers. If it was one vampire, I would have been dead. Yeah. Right. Like, good job. That would have been it. Right. Yeah. I think it was It was when they were escaping. No, it was in the uh, end fight. And the the Frog Brothers are screaming, clutching each other. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was so funny that at the end of the day, they're still kids. You know, yeah. they're still, yeah. you know, 13, 14 year olds. And when two 13, 14 year olds are facing some scary ass supernatural monster, they might sack up. They might just scream. It's perfectly reasonable for both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, we could there's so many scenes in this movie, like Grandpa using Windex as cologne. That was fucking <laughs> funny. Is, is there anything here that'll pass for cologne? And, and I thought that was a joke. And then he actually put it on his face, and I'm like, "What? What?" He just he just leaves. And you know what? Now when I look look back on that, I think he just willingly went for it, not because he was an idiot, but because he knew they were trying to get him out of the house, and he had already yeah. seen them bringing Star and Laddie upstairs. I think he, at that clear, point. he clearly had um had like known had been in contact with the widow and knew that she pro that it didn't seem like it was the type to like just call on the on command so he's you can kind of see him thinking like oh oh i guess we're gonna get lucky tonight and you know moves on and does his little thing i think i thought it was really funny i just like watching grandpa at all times right right yeah, he the show. Awesome. yeah oh my god that was so funny there was a couple other things i wanted to bring up um oh so in the soundtrack um the first time you hear People are strange. It's played by the band Echo and the Bunny Man, Bunny Bunny yeah. Men, which I think is a hilarious name for a rock band. It is, yeah. Um, and then you hear it again um, at the end, but it's the actual Doors version. But um, Michael has a poster of Echo and the Bunny Men on the wall That's of his funny. room. Ah. I like how they had uh, the the Doors in the in the. Um... There's a there's a big hanging poster of uh, Jim Morrison in the hideout, the right? Vampire hideout, right? On the wall in the back, yeah. And I think I, there's also a, a Molly Ringwall poster in there too. <laughs> yes, I love that. I did enjoy that when you got to see their little layer. Like they they're, they're still teenage kids. They really didn't stray from that at all during this movie. I also like that fucking Sam keeps waking up and he's like, Grandpa needs to stop leaving these things on my bedside. He opens his closet and it's like seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to establish that. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to have any payoff. It was just a quality moment to build the characters. Like yeah. really Grandpa is still around. We're not forgetting about this character. I love that. <laughs> Oh man. I love the final fight with Mike, Michael, oh. and uh, like Michael 
knows by that point that uh, David is a vampire. And even before he kind of vamp, uh, before Michael kind of vamps out in the fight, he's he he, ch- he challenged he come like openly tries to stop David. Like he comes after him, even though he's not exhibiting any of his own vampire powers quite yet. He still hates David enough by that point in the movie. And he's willing to, this is it's kind of heroic of him, I think at that moment, because he's willing to go head to head against him, even though he's not really at that level. And then he gets nailed across the room. And when he gets up, there's like that, that, David Banner Hulk TV series thing yes. where he turns his head and the, his eyes have changed. And I'm yeah. Like, yes. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was very happy with that too because I, I didn't really expect them to have Michael transform. I just kind of expected him to kind of face David a little bit, and mm. I don't know. Some I didn't exactly imagine him to actually actually be the one to kill David, even though it makes perfect sense, but I just wasn't ready for it. I thought it was pretty great. And one of my favorite lines is like, my blood is in your veins. Yeah, so's mine. Right. (laughs) Now, now that begs the question, how do antlers kill a vampire? I was wondering that too. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, woods, woods, you know, it's a plant. I mean, antlers are, does that mean you could shove your fist through a vampire's chest and kill it? Possibly? Right. I, that's the thing. Is like antlers are not made of wood. They're they are organic matter, but they're dead organic matter. I mean, what about the also... arrow? Is the arrow that the the death by stereo guy is the arrow wooden? I think I it mean, was. Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder if it's just it has to be. It's just heart has to be pierced all the way through. Thus, it will stop all bodily functions of the creature. Yeah, maybe in that movie it wasn't. It wasn't a hundred percent. Right. Um, maybe they weren't that strict with it. I mean, historically speaking, once again, the wooden stake wasn't the killer. That was just to nail, that was the the nail in the coffin, actually, to just keep the vampire from getting up again, and then you would decapitate it. Yeah. So I I think it's kind of interesting that it's evolved to be like, that's the thing that kills vampires, except for the fact that, like, "Eh, it's okay. Right. (laughs) That fight between David and Michael is, is kind of on the short side, but it's still satisfying. And... The, when David dies, like they linger on that for quite a while. Michael's standing there looking at David and it's pretty, he's just watching him and watching him. And after a while, it's pretty clear David's dead and he's not going to get up. And, but he's, you know, Michael is still standing there with the eyes and the fangs and yeah. he's like simultaneously, you know, making sure, I think he's making sure David's dead, but at the same time going, fuck, I just killed this guy. You know? Right. Like, <laughs> I thought that this is the end. I thought it was the end, too. I was fully expecting the movie to end right there. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, well done. We've killed the whole crew. We've got all, we've gotten rid of all of them. And then they're like, shit, it didn't work. That means there's one more. And I'm like, oh, I missed it. It is Max. <laughs> I, I totally missed that the first time around where he gets invited in. Um, but there's another scene that was really cool. No, or another shot, I should say, where my um, when Michael's what's his name? Sam's in the tub, and Michael's hearing his heartbeat. He can't even drink the milk; it like makes him almost puke. And then he hears the heartbeat, and he starts to get the bloodlust, and he goes up the stairs. And the shot is from the top of the stairs, looking down at him, and he's coming up, and he's in the shadow. So all you see is like a silhouette of him. And I just loved that shot. And then he comes, steps into the light, like right in front of the camera. It was so cool. Yeah. And that's when Nanook starts growling at him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, yeah. I thought that was interesting that they kind of semi-established that Nanook can tell when like when you're generally speaking, more acting more vampire for whatever reason, 
he can just tell because they never really take him around the lost boys. And by the time he does, they're already, you know, trying to kill them, whatever it is. Right. Uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting that he doesn't notice that until David's got, you know, bad intentions. Cause there's somebody else in his head telling him to do something. And yeah. the bite kind of like, br- like brings him to, he's like, Oh shit, hold on. Like he, I thought he was going to kill Manuk. I, d- I genuinely did. I thought he was going to do it in like self-defense. And when he didn't, I'm like, oh, okay. So he's still in there. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, good. I feel like Nanook is more more connected to Sam than anybody else. So because Sam was in danger at that moment, yeah, he Mm. got yeah, absolutely. But like, in if 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 there was a scene where Sam seemed relaxed or seemed like he wasn't having any issues, then Nanook was also relaxed. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is consistent. I mean, that's that's pretty good. You know, that's how dogs generally behave. So that was well done. Right. So we'll we'll wrap this up here. Uh, I just wanted to say one last line I thought was funny was when um, they at, at the beginning when they first move into the house and Sam's kind of upset that there's no TV and there's a reference to the TV guide and he's like, oh, Grandpa, you got a TV guide? He's like, no, got to t- read the TV guide. You don't need a TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was really funny. And he tells them when they come in the mail not to fold the covers or yes. something, doesn't he? Yeah, it sounds just it, like it, me. Yeah, yeah, don't don't you know don't rip off the postage stamp. It tears the cover, and I hate that. Right, I do too. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And then like they get in the car, and he's like, Grandpa just turns on. He turns on the car, like, Yeah, this is awesome. All right, I'm done here. And it just yeah. sounds like, Well, I thought we we're going into town. Yeah, it's as close to town as I want to get. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I thought that was a, a nice little foreshadow that he knew something was up. Yeah, at the very least, with the whole murder capital of the world thing, right? And you're thinking, like, is he just being like an old curmudgeon, or is he really aware there's a reason not to go into town? You know, right? Rod, do you still have a TV Guide collection? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. he does. Oh, he yeah. Have you checked his Facebook recently? <laughs> no, I have a TV I'm Guide page on Facebook. So neither am I. I post yeah, scans. Yeah, exactly. I'm oh, not wow. on Facebook either, but he just constantly tells me about them. I get updates <laughs> about the General <laughs> Hospital plot lines regularly. You do not. <laughs> that is not I, true. Although there is one I wanted to send Mike. It was it's a sequence, uh, one particular story sequence I want to send him. But all right. So we're off track here. Um, yes. So final thoughts on uh, The Lost Boys, my kill. I'm not going to love it. I, it. It's like takes itself just seriously enough to be like cool and, and have some s- real suspense in some of the scenes. But it's also playful and I think the structure of the script, like how things are revealed and how it builds towards the the ending is really well done. Um, the way they shoot it with the lighting and the shadows and everything makes it kind of on the scarier, dark, really darker side in some, in a lot of the scenes, like you'd said about the staircase. Right. And um, I just think it's fucking fantastic. Every time I watch it, I, I have a blast. That's awesome. Spent. Uh, yeah, I agree. I really, really enjoyed this movie. I thought this movie was uh, well written, well put together, well executed, um, and it had a lot of attention to detail that I thoroughly enjoyed. The action sequences and the the setup and the build and the payoff for a lot of the things we saw were really, really good. The rules of the universe ever so slightly shaky, but it you know my suspension of disbelief is what it is. I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, so overall, I really liked this movie. I. I'd give it probably an eight and a half out of 10. It's a very, very great movie. And uh, I, if anybody, you know, my age is looking for a fun little horror movie that, you know, isn't too scary, but is still a good, good flick, uh, you know, go, go take a look at the Lost Boys. 
Absolutely, absolutely. This is definitely a classic. Um, in my in my book, it's right up there with Fright Night, um, yeah. which you know are like one or two years apart, and, and they couldn't be more different. And I love that about them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lost Boys. I could just watch that over and over again. In fact, I have um, quite a few <laughs> times. Uh, everything works here. The humor and the horror mesh well. I loved the directing. Um, it, it did have a sort of a video, music video kind of vibe to it, but it wasn't in that annoying way that some movies have done. Yeah. Um, but I love the cinematography. I love the cast. And, of course, the soundtrack. Um, I, I can't, I've been playing that quite a bit, like I said, over the past week. It's and, so awesome. Uh, I love how 80s this movie is, the fashions. I guess one quick thing. Yes. Corey Feldman picked that coat. Like, he picked the look for his character. Uh, and I'm yeah. sorry, not Corey Feldman, Corey Haim. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I highly recommend this. I think people need to see this movie. It's a really fun vampire film. Yeah, you got to see it at least once. It's one of those movies that, like, you've never seen that, you know? Right. And you won't regret it. It's not a movie that maybe we like, but the rest of the world won't. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, everybody will like it. It's definitely not a cult classic. This is an objectively well-made movie. Yeah, yeah. It it did really well when it was released. It has, like, universal appeal for audiences. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you guys. That was awesome. No problemo. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for our special 2022 13 Days of Hallotober event in which we're discussing vampire films this year. I just want to briefly remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called The Fright Lounge in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans, as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror. We've also got a new podcast called The Cult Movie Lounge in which award-winning blogger Robert Manel and I discuss all cult movies all the time. And here's, of course, our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies, all of which can be found at our website, Haven Podcasts, that's plural, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, be sure to click on our Patreon link and TeePublic link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please go to youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe to it. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put out new episodes. And of course, we want your feedback, so please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. That's right, folks. And all of those links, like I said, they're on our website as well as in our show notes of every episode. And we are on all the podcasting apps. So if you like our show, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review because that bumps us up the list in the algorithm and helps more people to find us. Thank you for joining us today. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
the little uh the little mascot for the Home Depot, the little animated animated guy. His name is Homer D. Poe. <laughs> that's not a joke. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's pretty lame. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but know, like, go ahead. People will remember it because it's so silly. Mm-hmm. You ever hear that phrase? You know, I don't have a pot to piss in. Yeah. I always say, I don't have a home to pot in. <laughs> yeah, he's also poisoned my brain with a washed pot never boils. No, it's a. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> a washed pot. Thanks, Roger. Good job. I. He's also poisoned me, and nobody ever corrected me. I don't say play it by how, how <coughs> play it by ear. I there's a Y in there. Play it by year. Play it by year. <laughs> By year, oh, I, I I never understood that. Roger, you're terrible. <laughs> I know. It's not totally as fault, but it is pretty funny when my girlfriend was like, "What are you saying?" I'm like, "Play it by ear." She's like, "No, play it by ear." <laughs> like, oh funny. well, you're wrong. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.